Hello and welcome to the Power From Port podcast. I'm your host Jamie and today I'll be reviewing the Round 19 clash between Port Adelaide and Collingwood Football Club. Okay, so great win from Port. Obviously we ran away winners 14 goals 13-97, defeating Collingwood 10 goals 9-69. The leading goal scorers on the night for Port were Charlie Dixon with 4 goals 3 Todd Marshall with three goals straight, Peter Adams with two goals straight, and we had five single goal kickers. Uh, the major ball winners for the game were Willem Drew with 32 disposals, 17 contested, nine kicks, 23 handballs, five tackles, and eight clearances. Travis Spoke, 30 disposals, 16 of those contested, 15 kicks, 15 handballs, one tackle, and seven clearances. Ollie Wines, also with the 30 disposals, 13 contested, 13 kicks, 17 handballs, two tackles, and also with seven clearances. So, look, my initial thoughts post-game were uh, somewhat of relief. Uh, Obviously, Collingwood kind of hung around for a large portion of that game, and it was just a bit annoying. Um, You know, we looked to be breaking away. They would come back at us with a few goals, and... um, we left ourselves a little bit open um, on turnover and then um, just allowing them to kind of transition the ball at times. Like Ken said in the post-match press conference, uh, he said we're a bit too aggressive at times in our positioning on the ground and um, that was kind of evident in some of Collingwood's transition and kind of left our defence a bit out of sorts at times. Um, The next point I have is just the happiness that I kind of have for Boak getting a win in his 300th game. Um, you know, I spoke about him uh, the other night when I um, just reflected on his career personally and um, to seal the deal and, and get the four points was great. I'm really happy for him and he deserves it, much like I, I expressed the sentiments um, in the first episode. Um, he played a... a you know, a true Travis Boak kind of game. He didn't really light it up in terms of highlights or anything like that. Worked his way into the game and just, yeah, outworked the opposition. Like I said, finishing with the 30 disposals, um, half of them contested. So a true Travis Boak game. Um, quite disappointing to hear the flip-flopping with his uh, family and his mum in particular. Obviously, the whole week was kind of a flip-flop for poor and... Um, yeah, um, to hear that she was going to be able to go and then the government, Victorian government and the AFL then at the last minute saying no. So a bit disappointing in that regard, um, knowing how important uh, she is and his family are to him. Um, um, next point I have in regards to Port, I, I don't know if this is... Um, uh, due to the fact that we're getting some players back and we're coming into the end part of the year. Um, but I've noticed a bit of a resurgence of our front half game, obviously in 2020 and to a, a lesser extent in 2019. Uh, we built our game a lot on uh, front half pressure and lot, really locking it in, repeat entries um, to give ourselves multiple opportunities at kicking scores. Um, for the, a large portion of this year, we, for some reason, have... Uh, been playing more of a defensive half game and we're trying to transition it from defence forward um, for our score sources. But um, I don't, I haven't really understood it. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that we're maybe, we're confident in our own ability and really confident in that front half game and um, trying to uh, maybe thicken um, just the options we have within game um, and for the large part of this year, practicing that defensive half game as it is probably out of the two the more area for improvement that we need um but i alluded to the fact uh in my uh wrap-up of travis spoke's career uh, the other night that uh in 2014 we obviously had an edge on the competition and um, we let it slip um and then everyone managed to catch up over the next couple of years and i mentioned 2020 being another year um where we had an edge on the competition and I didn't quite elaborate on that, but um, and because that edge is slightly different to the one we had in 2014, obviously being very fit, but in 2020, I think we really 
led the league with that front half pressure game. Um, and so that kind of added to the confusion of why would we would go away from it a bit because I do think that we went away from our 2013 and 14 game plan after um, those two years and that loss in the preliminary in 2014. And I, I just kind of, I've been watching this year kind of hoping that, um, you know, we failed to get to the grand final playing that front half game. So for some reason we tried to change it. But um, I guess particularly in the game against St Kilda last round when our troops were really down, it kind of felt like we went back to something that was really comfortable for us and obviously on a good deck at Marvel. Um, so to see it again, yeah, sure, we were a bit over-aggressive and that was telling on the night, um, like I said. But I do feel that that is a better game style for us being so good at it um, over the last few years. Um, And, uh, you know, excuse me, being a kick away from a grand final last year doing it, um, yeah, yeah, um, I think we're going to win more games. They give ourselves a better chance playing it. We look a lot more damaging and dynamic playing a game style like that. Um, so what I'm aiming to do with these reviews, I'm just going to break down each line, um, go through my hot and cold players for the, um, for the power and my best on ground and then some final thoughts. So just going through our lines, um, first of all, I start at defense, um, and working my way forward. So, um, I think the defense on the night was good without being great, um, like I said before, we looked a bit out of sorts at times, and our real lockdown defenders, I think, um, got showed up a little bit. Um, Alir, in particular, I think he had a great first quarter. He was really kind of imposing himself on the game, and with Collingwood kind of putting us under pressure. But I think it was it was right at the end of the first quarter. Um, he gave away a front on contact goal to Brody Grundy, but in the process, Grundy gave him a nice knee in the midsection. I don't know how high or or low he got him, but Alir looked in some serious pain after that. And it kind of, uh, watching the rest of the game, I think he kind of fell out of it a little bit. He had some good moments and um, still racked up a good amount of intercept possessions, which we expect of him. But um, yeah, just uh, lacked um, that imposing nature for the, the other three quarters past quarter time, in my opinion. Um, overall, though, we only conceded 10 goals, and if you put that on paper before the game, I think we'd take that. I think keeping aside to 10 goals, I think we're probably about a 14 or 15 goal team on a, um, on the right day. And um, yeah, keeping a team to 10 goals, it, just, it was just a fashion in which they had looked at it, which was probably a bit annoying for most of us supporters. Um and in the end, we had more scoring shots than them anyway. Um, and probably could have taken our own opportunities too. But 10 goals on the night, I'll probably take that. Um, my last overall point was, you know, I mentioned it before. We got caught out in the turnover. And um, that led to Collingwood having some ample opportunity marking it inside 50. They took 14 marks inside 50. Um so when I think the week before um, we were in single digits and the low single digits for opposition marks inside 50. Um, so it's probably something to look at. Obviously, with our best 22 coming back onto the park, I, I do believe that it, it is um, the defence up the ground that has a certain factor in that. And, of course, with turnover in particular, you're in an attacking position and attacking frame of mind and you can get caught out. Um, so, yeah, I, I do expect us to uh, look at that and over the next month, football in the minor round to lock that down. Um, I've got kind of questions on uh, the skipper, Tom Jonas, and then the, another person in the leadership group, Darcy Byrne-Jones. I think, you know, just judging from social media throughout the year, um, Darcy Byrne-Jones has been brought up a lot. Uh, by supporters. Um, personally, uh, even uh, going to the games and kind of still watching him off the ball because when you watch it on TV, it doesn't give you the best perspective, as we all know. Um, but, yeah, he just... 
he seems to be lacking a bit of a killer instinct for some reason. And I mean, we all remember his debut game uh, and it's uh, that iconic image of him kicking the goal, I think it was, and then and having blood streaming down his face. And he had that kind of never give in attitude and pretty much for the whole time he's played. Um, up until this year, Salik seems to be a little bit off. I don't know if uh, maybe being put into the leadership group has kind of added an element of pressure that he's kind of second-guessing or, you know, questioning himself on game day and the way he goes about it. But, yeah, just some of his um, attack on the ball being one, but his disposal more than anything um, seems to be a little bit slow at times and telegraphed where um, you can kind of tell what he's going to do and the opposition can tell what he's going to do and they they tend to get a smother in or he gets a tackle or the game in particular against Melbourne, he seems to be getting the ball, second-guessing himself and then hand-passing it to a person under pressure, which, you know, you'd probably prefer him just to take the territory um, instead of trying to be overly flashy or, or putting the, the pressure onto one of his teammates. So I think he's a bit lucky that we do have, we have had a lot of injuries this year. Um, one, Interesting stat to come out of the telecast was that we've had 13 surgeries in season, which is amazing to think that we're still in the position that we're in after having so many um, surgeries like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, I think he's, uh, as I was saying, quite lucky that we have had a lot of injuries and I think he, being the reigning best and fairest and All-Australian from last year. Uh, he's got a, a few credits in the bank, but um, with a stronger, yeah, maybe, I mean, we're utilising most of our half-forwards at the moment um, and putting some in other positions. But, yeah, just lucky, I think, to retain his position at times. Um, if Hamish Hart was a bit younger, a bit more nimble, um and a bit more confident too, he'd probably be taking his spot. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I guess Darcy, uh, he's lasted the whole year. He just has to keep, keep keep on keeping on for the rest of the year, in my opinion. And hopefully come finals, just with that kind of win or you go home attitude, uh, lights a spark in him because, you know, he's um, a great player um, and a great second rung player he probably pushed himself up into b plus a category last year but when he's on he's just a vital cog in our unit um definitely and in our best 18 players um i mentioned tom jonas as well um not having terrible games but i've noticed on a few occasions this season that he kind of is getting a bit caught out sometimes and, and losing a few contests that you'd expect him to win on occasion and some of those against bigger players and over his career, he has played bigger than uh, what he is, a taller, should I say. Um, but even some contests against similar sized opponents, um, yeah, just let himself down a little bit, um, which I don't know, it's not any huge concern to me, but just something that I've noticed this year, um, much like Darcy, it's just to keep on keeping on. I trust TJ. I think he's been a great captain since he's, uh, been appointed the number one Guernsey um, and I uh, yeah I have full trust just noticed a few slip-ups and I mean uh, you know maybe a bit unlucky but that contest with Mason Cox where he gave away the free kick it was kind of there um, he did prevent Cox from bringing his arm up a bit still a bit 50-50 coming from a Port Adelaide perspective he probably thought that um he was kind of holding Cox off before Cox made a real attempt <clears throat> at the mark. Um, I think the fact that Jonas was in the air and kind of just put the arm out and, yeah, it worked against him. But, yeah, just a couple of brain fades that I've noticed. But, um, yeah, um, my best back on the night. Um, it was a bit hard to pick a best um, true back. Um, <clears throat> but on the team sheet, Listed starting halfback in Dan Houston. He's got my best back. I had to pick him. Really um, imposing game from him, particularly in the first half. Um, his match stats finished at 21 disposals. 
16 kicks, five handballs, going at 81% efficiency, which is fantastic. Uh, five marks, seven score involvements, and a huge 613 metres gained, while also kicking the one goal one for himself. Um, a lot of his possessions coming in that second quarter. Um, I think the most pleasing thing is about Dan Houston is uh, particularly after he got those shoulder injuries in the mid part of the season, even when he came back, he still looked um, sometimes like he was going at contests a bit half-hearted and just kind of looking at him, you could kind of tell that uh, the shoulder injuries were in the back of his mind and maybe a bit cautious not to uh, repeat those injuries. Um, but he seems to be a lot more confident. He got a lot of a freer role against Collingwood on Friday night and uh, he made them pay. Uh, being his Look, his matchup was the debutant in Ginevan, I think his name was, and... Um, you know, so there's polar opposites in talent and ability and experience there. But like a good player should do, he put the kid to the sword and, um, yeah, imposed himself as well as he could, which you would expect from Dan Houston with a month of the minor round to go. I'm really looking forward to seeing him build and, and hit playing in that comfortable role off of halfback and coming through the middle, really attacking the corridor. And he's a great kicker of the ball, as we all know. Um, so using that ball, especially at 81%, is um, exactly what you want. Um, I want to give an honourable mention to Ryan Burton. Um, look, his stats on paper are pretty midline, you know, 16 disposals, 11 kicks, 5 handballs, 5 marks, which is good, 4 tackles, 6 intercepts, um, which is probably a key one for me. 62% efficiency, which is, you know, probably not where you want it. You probably want it a bit higher with the average across the league, I think, being about 70 um, and the 265 metres gained. But it was more, again, probably similar to Dan Houston with his body. Uh, Ryan Burton's, just his confidence to burst through some contests, I'm finding he's um, implementing over the last few rounds and the last two in particular at Marvel Stadium. Um uh, he seems to be getting the ball on a half-back line and really trusting himself to burst. And um, it's been good for uh, Burton this year, um, having some consistency uh, in the season, because obviously, as we know, last season, very interrupted with soft tissue injuries, um, and that affected him um, always being, you know, if you've ever done a soft tissue injury, it, it does sit in the back of your mind. Um for a bit and yeah, probably a bit apprehensive to burst, but he's obviously got the confidence and maybe gotten a bit of a license to try that out while we are trying a bit more of an attacking game plan um, since going to Melbourne. Um, but yeah, I, I really hope that that's a sign of things to come because I, you know, the more X factor you have in your game, the more um, pieces you can lean on, uh, when the competition is so even and in those games in finals when you need that X factor or those X factor moments. And his is definitely his burst speed. And then when he's on, 62% probably doesn't reflect it properly, but when he's on, he has really good disposal um, and can just put that ball on a string and, and lace uh, his teammates out quite effectively. So, um, yeah, honourable mention for him. Um, just some ominous signs going forward. Um so the midfield line, again, I think they were good without being great. Uh, you could tell that Collingwood uh, wanted to put a lot of attention into Ollie Wines and Travis Boak, and why wouldn't you? Um, they're both having great years. Ollie Wines obviously up there in Brownlow contention. Um, uh, I, I think, yeah, um, that kind of threw the balance, and we had to make some adjustments, adjustments as the game went on. Uh, but even in saying that... Uh, those two guys in particular, they had great second halves and um, uh, worked their way back into it. Um, but uh, And then with Dersma coming back on one wing, uh, he obviously his first game back, we don't expect a lot. So there was some opportunities for Collingwood kind of to, yeah, just work through us a little bit. Um, I thought our midfield worked hard all day. Um um, and was probably our second best line, to be honest, out of three. So um, not 
yeah, not terrible. But, um, yeah, good enough to uh, beat the opposition in the end, in my opinion. Um, you know, uh, we won clearances overall on the night. Uh, most of those coming from stoppage, actually, a lot of those, 28 to 19 um, in the stoppage clearances. And it was in the centre where Collingwood got on top, um, us going down 11 to 13 centre clearances. So that's probably more where I'm coming from. We did, however, win the hitouts. Uh, so Scott Lysette, I thought, competed all right. Brody had his measure for most of the game, but I think Scott finished better. And obviously, having a little bit of support um, by Peter Laddams helps. We won the hitouts, thirty-four to twenty-seven. Um, I thought some of our use going inside fifty was potentially a bit wasteful at times. Um, we smashed them in the inside 50s, uh, 58 to 39. But I felt at times we just kind of bombed it in. And, yeah, I guess we're not really, you know, it's no real surprise. Uh, some of the detractors of Port's game plan definitely tend to highlight the times when we've been bombing it in. But I felt we did. Um, I felt our half-backers um, rolling through the mid probably delivered it a bit better. Um, in Dan Houston um, and got to talk about Riley Bonner as well um, I feel that's his, probably his best game for the year obviously he hasn't played too many games at AFL level but um, you know a very maligned player with fans um, tend to be the second coming of Jasper Pittard in a lot of opinion um, just because uh, sometimes when he's got the ball in the past, he can really burn you or just make a surprising decision which doesn't really make sense and um, it can cost us on the way back. But since coming in against St Kilda um, and then this game, I th thought his um, disposal was really creative uh, but um, assured as well. He seemed to be hitting it up a lot. His disposal efficiency was in the uh, low 80s as well. I think it was the 83. Uh, surprisingly enough, I think his uh, disposal efficiency the last two games is around that 83% mark, and that's fantastic. Like when I said before that the average is about 70, um, and I think our average on the night was about 70, maybe a touch below. Um, having that disposal efficiency is fantastic, and some of his inside 50s in particular were great. Um Hitting up Peter Adams, I think Peter Adams' two uh, goals came off the back of uh, Bonner uh, delivering it to him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was really great to see. I guess as poor supporters, we we want that consistently. If you're going to set that baseline, which we know you have. And, look, everyone wants the best for uh, Riley Bonner. Um, I certainly do. Obviously, um, as I said in the first episode of the podcast, um, I'm quite an optimistic person, and, and as Port fans, you know, you don't want anyone to do badly. You want the best for everyone, and um, I think, yeah, we all want the best for Riley Bonner. We want him to play this game in particular and the game against St Kilda consistently. We want that to be the base level and then have better games on the occasion as well. Um, Look, my best for the midfield line, how could you go past Willem Drew? I'm really happy for him. He's played the whole season and um, he just had a, uh, an outstanding game against Collingwood um, with uh, Ollie and Trav being um, having a bit more attention put on them. Um, Willem Drew definitely took his time to shine, uh, finishing the game with 32 disposals, 17 of which were contested. Nine kicks, 23 handballs, so he's really getting it out of some tight positions. Five tackles, 72 disposal efficiency, eight score involvements, eight clearances, and 27 pressure acts, um, which is huge as well. Um, I think, you know, he's been injury interrupted for the last two years, as we know, and he's just, he's really impressed me. Um, Again, going to games, you can really see the things that he does off-ball um, and the pressure that he puts on. And he's had some jobs this year more so, while Ollie and Trav are the standouts. He's had some more jobs, and for a young player, he's really um, put his hand up and taken those on with great effect. Um, but in this game, uh, yeah, it was his turn to rack up disposals and um, impose himself, and he did that um, fantastically, I thought. 
Um, you could say that he's had a couple of quiet periods, probably more so earlier in the year. But um, considering that a player like Tom Rockliffe has been out on the long-term injury list, um, you know, Drew may have found himself out on occasions, but the fact that Rockliffe's been unavailable uh, has given Drew real license to work on his game and, and build his confidence. Um, the, obviously, um, people who follow the BT parody page on Facebook would know the hilarity, but um, uh, BT made a point during the game that he'd won three premierships for his uh, uh, junior football club um, in the southwest of Victoria. I think it is, or well, definitely the west of Victoria. And... Um, you know, but playing a lot of uh, football as a youngster in a senior team, but as well as that getting success, I'm sure that would have factored in us um, drafting him um, because having finals experience, uh, particularly at AFL level, is just vital. Uh, but then as a young player, to be in that kind of environment um, against men knowing what it takes to be successful, um, no matter what the, you know, um, level of football it is, it, it's very important. And, um, yeah, just it's really impressed me this year, his kind of attack on the ball, his pressure, and some of the surety with his disposal at times. So really happy for Willem. Um, he's not going anywhere, clearly. And, um, yeah, was best our best mid uh, for mine. Uh, Honourable mention has to go to our Brownlow medal favourite in Ollie Wines for mine. Um, like I said, probably started a bit quiet, but definitely worked himself into the game um, and finished off well, particularly. He finished with 30 disposals, uh, 13 of those contested, 17 kicks, 13 handballs, two tackles. He finished with the one goal, one, six score involvements, seven clearances four inside 50s, and he also had three rebound 50s, um, which uh, means he's just working hard both ways, as we expect, and what he's really built his game on this year is obviously that grunt work, but working his way all over the ground. Um, his last quarter in particular netted him 13 of those 30 disposals and the four clearances, which was more than half of his total tally. Um, so... You know, Collingwood came at us a bit in that third quarter. It was quite open. Um, we did end up winning the quarter. but um, So in that uh, fourth quarter, we we needed to get the job done for Trav in his 300th, and Ollie in particular really stood up. And I think it was in that fourth quarter, um, just a great Ollie moment. Uh, was I think he was on the halfback line, and he got the ball, and he was under pressure. I think a player from Collingwood, they, were just, they tried to bring him to ground, and... Just, he does not look phased at all. Um, as they mentioned a few times in the telecast, he's 100 kegs, so tackling him to the ground isn't easy. Um, and yeah, he just, he basically threw the guy off his hips without really touching him um, and just surged the ball forward. And that's what we've come to love with Ollie. Uh, you know, he never looks phased by some incoming pressure. He's happy to, and it's a good, it's good footy smart. He's happy to take, an opposition player on at the last minute to get the disposal away and, and thus taking that opposition player of the next contest. Um, so, yeah, another great consistent game for Ollie Wines. I don't know if he'll get votes for this game, um, but, I mean, he is a good vote-getter historically for us, so you never know. Um, but just an honourable mention definitely for him uh, playing another great game and some good moments. Um Next, our forward line. I think that was our best line, um, in my opinion, on the night. Uh, they got some real good looks at goal uh, throughout the night and made some good opportunity from some pretty average 50s at times. Um, but then, especially with the good entries coming inside 50, they uh, took that and, and ran with it. Um, it was a great night for the tools, obviously combining for nine goals out of our 14, um, as listed at the top of the show. Um, which is great because it means that, you know, defences are really going to have to think about how they set up and keep, and it makes us keep people accountable one-on-one, which is much better than um, the opposite, which is the usual Charlie getting three or four players uh, all towards him. 
Um, I mentioned Riley Bonner before. Another Malone player, as we all know, is Todd Marshall. He really stood up today. And look, I've heard a bit... Um, I mean, you don't have to look far to hear feedback on Todd Marshall, um, even especially after a win, usually. Um, but I did... Uh, with second-tier football still going at the time, I thought with Peter Laddams coming back... Um, and us needing a second ruck, I did feel, or Pete offering a second option as the second ruck, I did feel that Todd was in danger of getting dropped, or he probably should have just went back and, and got into some form uh, at SNFL. Um, but as we know, Ken has full faith in him, and I do agree um, that he can be unfairly criticised, but also important to our, our makeup uh, when he is on. But, yeah, I don't think... Um, sorry about that. My microphone just cut out. But, yeah, um, as I was saying, um, look, with Todd, I, I, I've, I think just by watching him this year, I think they're grooming him into a bit of a Justin Westhoff role uh, with Westy retiring at the end of last year, it's, again, something that can set us apart if we have someone like that um, because that Justin Westhoff role was quite a hybrid. It, gave again, gave us another edge that we could lean on um, against, uh, you know, good teams and things like that, which are only separated by the barest of margins usually. Um, so it's funny, I remember in Justin Westhoff's younger days, he was maligned much the same as Todd Marshall is. Obviously, Westy kicking 40 goals in his first year probably set the bar high. Um, but as he grew and his role was changing within the team, uh, it wasn't so much uh, he needed to kick or he wasn't expected to kick all those goals. And same with Todd, people are expecting him to kick uh, you know, a huge amount of goals each year being another key tool. But I do feel he's being groomed into a mobile um, player. Um, I don't think he'll be, ever be as bulky as what some people want him to be. Um, again, much like Justin Westhoff. So, uh, he and his skills for a tool guy, obviously below his knees and some of his decision-making, I feel at times he's a bit too smart. Um, you see it more often uh, at games, but he, when he gets the ball, he, he's very subtly creative and he can just see the game in a completely different way. And he, sometimes he tries to go for things that maybe aren't on. But look, you've got to give him credit against Collingwood. Uh, he took his chances. He kicked the three goals straight, which is all you want. He did some great stuff around the ground, um, some of what, what uh, which was in the defensive half. Um, and look, you know, um, yep, kicked the three goals, had a great game. Just let's hope that he can string a few of those together and really build on his confidence because, again, it just puts our defence and our defensive, uh, uh, sorry, our opposition teams it, under so much pressure and especially with how they want to set up. Um. I actually got ahead of myself there. Todd Marshall was my honourable mention. Um, so there we go. We got that first. But my best forward on the night was definitely big Charlie Dixon. Um, I love Chuck. He's probably one of my favourite players. He just I, – I truly feel that his role is different to most of the key forwards in the league. Obviously, you want them – most key forwards, you want them marking it or you want them to, uh, to bring it to ground. But Charlie's just a man mountain and um, – uh, I think, yeah, with all the criticism that he gets, um, he generally finishes up in the top three or five players in the league for contested marks, and he just does it up the ground, and he works so hard to get back. Um, who knows, that may affect his goal kicking. He's not the most confident goal kicker, but I do think that his kicking this year has actually been a bit more reliable. Um, look, he kicked the four goals three on the night, and if you're saying that to me before the game that, Charlie Dixon's got seven shots on goal. Um, I'm going to take that every day of the week. That, you know, um, I, why wouldn't you? Um, it's generally in good spots. And you, pro I'm probably more comfortable with Charlie kicking from 
50 metres out, um, or the, the harder ones he tends to be getting. Um, it's the simple, straightforward ones that tend to frustrate you at times. Um, and I do think he kind of leans back on his kicks and laxes on some of those more straightforward ones where he focuses a bit more with the longer ones and the more difficult angles. Um, obviously, uh, kicking the two behinds and then having that shot from close to the boundary uh, a fair way out and splitting the middle um, epitomises that. Uh, but yeah, finished with the four goals, three. 11 disposals, which were all contested. So that's true Charlie Dixon game. Um, just really winning all those contests, all those one-on-ones um, for his disposals. The four marks, two tackles, um, inside 50. Um, and those both leading to goals, I believe. Oh, no, my mistake. He um, he got a couple of free kicks. Um, but, you know... The two tackles, I think he finished with a total of two tackles and they were inside 50. So that's great forward pressure. Um, 20 pressure acts in total, which is, again, fantastic. Um, <clears throat> look, those are my lines. Um, overall, I think, uh, yep, yeah, I think we had one one beat, our opposition, one splitter, and then one probably about a 45 and 55 split. Um, I think Collingwood got the better of our defensive half. But um, moving on to our hot and cold players. So um, our hot player for the round is Carl Amon. Um, I wanted to kind of isolate him. Uh, you know, it's not uncommon for him to have a good game. Um, he's actually been in some great form all year, only maybe lowering his colours on a couple of occasions. But, um, yeah, I thought his game was great. He really imposed himself. Um in the middle with his entries and even hit the scoreboard, finishing the game with 24 disposals, nine kicks, 15 handballs, going at 79% efficiency, um, six tackles, eight score involvements. So a really great all-round Carl Amon game. Um, you know, like I said, I wanted to give him uh, his own kind of... Uh, I could have brought him up in the midfield line, but he deserved his own... Um, little highlight because as well as that is like we all know they're going to pick the all australian team at the end of the year um and they're just going to shove a whole bunch of inside mids in because they're you know they're, they're all having good games and they're what somewhat uh, star players in the competition and for some reason um players like carl the wingers they don't get picked um because yeah um they're not probably seen as the star players and all the favourites have to get picked in the for some reason in the starting 18. My personal opinion, uh, I think you pick a team as if for some reason you were playing an international test match and you picked a team in their positions and that includes two wings, not you know six inside midfielders um, and a ruckman. Um, because uh, what's going to happen is Carl Amon will probably be picked in the... Uh, squad of 40 um, and then not get picked. Uh, that's my prediction. Uh, but if you're picking wingers, I think Carl is definitely um, the, one of the best two uh, wingers in the competition and would deserve that spot in the All-Australian team. Um, uh, my thoughts on the All-Australian team, uh, I think that we should have um, a second 22 uh, much like how some of the American sports have first team, second team, sometimes even third team for something like basketball, um, which only has five starters. So, uh, I mean, they pick 40 players. All they would need to do is pick another four. Um, and I think a second All-Australian team or All-Australian Reserves team, whatever you'd like to call it, would probably have a bit more esteem as well. Um, you know, they pick the 40 to build a bit of anticipation um, but then everyone kind of forgets it, unless you look on Wikipedia for various players who've been picked in that 40 over the years. You kind of forget about them. But I think a second 22, um, yeah, would have a bit more esteem on it. And you could probably, yeah, hang your hat on it a little bit more than the squad of 40. And in doing that, you can reward people more for the positions that they play. Again, another one the position that tends to be pushed out is sometimes the small forwards or the half forwards. They chuck more midfielders there because they feel sorry for them. But with the two All-Australian teams, 
I think you could really divide it and go, well, well you're the best three uh, starting um, midfielders. You get picked here and then sorry, but you guys have had great years, but you're second team um, for this year. So that's just my uh, personal tangent on the All-Australian team. But um, yeah, Carl Amon, going back to him, uh, he's running pretty hot and he's continuing his great season. Um, like I said, um, so he's the hot player for round 19. Um, cold player for me uh, is pretty unlucky, to be honest. Um, you know, we have some players coming back for their first games and maybe a couple of players having quiet games but having good games throughout. So it was a bit tough. I've picked Miles Bergman. He's very unlucky to be named the cold player for round 19 because I do think he's had a, a great year. Miles um, has been a bit unlucky, probably not to get a a rising star nomination, but I read an AFL article along uh, the lines or going along the lines that there is actually a lot of players eligible, mostly because of last season um, being shortened and uh, young players not getting as much opportunity. So there is a a lot of players who probably will miss out on a rising star nomination. And with the amount of games that he's played, I don't think he'll be eligible next year. Um, But I think, yeah, he's had a great year, but the last couple of rounds, he's probably... I think Eddie's commentary in the St. Kilda game probably overdid it for Miles Bergman. He's probably had a couple of, yeah, average games. Um, I don't expect him to be dropped or anything like that. I still think he's in our best 22 at the moment. Um, You know, with some players due to come back in a couple of weeks' time, it may be interesting. But, yeah, he finished with the eight disposals, five kicks, three handballs, four marks, three tackles, going at 75%. So that's actually pretty good. 147 metres gained, which is probably on the the lower end of what you would want. So, you know, there are some small moments, um, but I had to pick someone and he's probably one. Again, a bit unlucky. He definitely marked that ball deep in the forward line. Um, So he should have finished with a goal, in my opinion. It was out of him and probably Boyd Woodcock um, for the cold player. Um, of round 19, but uh, yeah, Boyd got on the the scoreboard and yeah, I had to had to pick one and it was probably Miles for me uh, against Collingwood. Um, so to finish off, my best on ground, uh, I'll do a 3-2-1, much like the Brownlow count. My one was Carl Amon. Um, as I said, he's uh, having a great season and uh, he proved the difference on many occasions. Obviously, that... <laughs> I forgot to mention before, but that goal he kicked to um, sell a couple of guys uh, some candy. Um, yeah, great goal. True highlight. And he's kind of, now that he's built a bit of confidence in his cell, in his game and his self, um, he seems to be toying with some players sometimes. I do think he can, on occasion, try and bite off a bit more than he can chew when the opposition want to go for his hips and not get fooled by the ball movement. But yeah, that was a great goal and a true highlight of the game which will get spoken about um, most of the week, I'm sure. Uh, number two for me uh, was Charlie. Um, again, seven shots on goal, a real imposing game. Um, and I forgot to mention before that I think he had uh, the measure on Rough Ed. A lot of, a lot of commentary on Rough Ed being a bit unlucky, but to be honest, I, I think those, 50, uh, those free kicks were a bit 50-50. Maybe Charlie was a bit lucky, but Charlie needs a bit of luck. He's usually getting pushed out of contest, being held high, his arms being held. So it's time for the luck to go his way sometimes. And, um, oh, they're pushing the back to Ruffhead. Ruffhead had already jumped, and I feel more he flopped when he felt contact, like threw his arms back a little bit because he was out of position. And Charlie was more or less holding um, him at bay. You're allowed to do that now. I remember they changed the rules to... Um, hands in the back, but they've changed that back to push in the back, and I don't think it was a true push. Um, And again, with the one later in the game, I feel that Charlie's uh, momentum was a sideways push on Roughhead, and it was a contest, which is more or less, more often than not, allowed. Yeah, he had a hand resting on Roughhead's back, but the momentum was more in the side, and I felt that Roughhead was very quick to complain a lot in this game. And looking back on our previous game against Collingwood, I think Roughhead had the measure on Charlie and played a good game. But, yeah, Charlie won that battle for me quite convincingly. Had a great game. Uh, my best on ground was um, 
Willem Drew, like I said, fantastic game. Um, he stood out. Um, and uh, another thing that I forgot to mention in his uh, little mention was he does this funny thing. Uh, the the perceived pressure that he does, I think, contributes to a lot of um, balls spilling out, him winning the ball. And, and uh, he does this kind of, as we all know, um, there's the wing the wingspan reference in terms of defense um, or shepherding. Um, but he does this bit of, uh, it's like a wingspan tackle. He, um, it's the way he kind of applies pressure before he gets close to it. It's a bit basketball-like where when you're setting a zone, you keep your arms out to kind of block vision. But I've just noticed in some of his attacks on the opposition, he kind of runs in with his arms out, ready to bear hug um, the opposition player with the ball. Um, and again, I think that <laughs> doubling as a bit of, uh, you know, blocking off of vision for the opposition player looking uh, for a handoff. Um, yeah, it's just great. He had a great game, real standout, really happy for him, and he got the, the best on ground for me. Um, so my final thoughts for the game. Um, uh, I had in my notes here the three musketeers, which I think I don't really have to elaborate. It, uh, Rosie Dersma and um, Zach Butters uh, all coming back in at the same time after for the first time since they've been drafted last round, not playing in the game, uh, in the team. Uh, but they came back. I thought initially my best out of the three was Rosie. I think that um, he was good for the rest. He was attacking the ball hard and um, keeping the ball alive a lot and keeping his balance, which was a, a criticism of him early in the season. Uh, but I felt he... Um, impacted more when the ball was in dispute and that goal that he kicked it's you know it just shows how much confidence he has in his own ability and um, uh, yeah the talent the true talent of of the kid like kicking around the corner while Maynard was distracted on the mark he has done that a few times it's quite cheeky um, but he backs himself and more often than not he kicks that goal um, Dersma on the night, I thought I thought it looked a bit evident that he was coming up another level from the SNFL, obviously playing a couple of games there and playing some really good games, particularly in the second one for the Magpies. Um, there were, he, he got enough of the ball, um, but on a few occasions I felt that his possession was a bit off, uh, giving off to teammates, um, handballing beside them or, or putting them under pressure. That was my initial instinct. I rewatched the game um, and he actually played a lot better than I thought in typical uh, Xavier Dersma fashion, running up and back and up and back consistently and getting to multiple contests. And I looked and he actually finished with about 75% disposal efficiency. So, um, yeah, not not too bad in reflection. Um, uh, and Butters looked um, probably the quieter out of the three, didn't have a terrible game um, and did some creative things. Probably should have had a goal too to his name. Um uh, but yeah, probably um, better for the run, um, but we'll build into the end of the season. Uh, my potential changes uh, coming into the next round, I'll probably go over them a bit more when I do my preview later in the week. Um, look, to be honest, uh, with Aratio and Robbie still being, uh, you know, uncertain, uh, one to two weeks, I think was the latest we heard. If they're not pushing for selection, I, I can see us going unchanged against the Giants. Um, you know, don't know where it's going to be played, but I think either at Marvel or Metricon, you'd probably bank on some pretty good weather at Metricon. Metricon. And being tall, I don't think is too much of an issue um, at those two grounds because when it's dry, we're, we're surging and giving our uh, tools opportunities to market. So... Um, I don't think it's affecting our speed, and all, uh, some of our tools do uh, play good football uh, around the ground um, and are fairly nimble and quick for their size. So, yeah, uh, if, say, Aratio or, or Robbie, for that matter, are um, okay to come back uh, next round, i probably see Boyd Woodcock falling out for one of those two. Um, but with no uh, second-tier football and scratch matches going on, it's, you know, there's not much in way for the reserve players to build or show their form. Um, another one being Tom Cleary, a bit unfortunate. Um, 
I thought McKenzie's game was a bit off. He worked hard, um, but I'm happy to give him a mulligan because he's actually played some great football since coming in for Cleary. Um, so, yeah, with no with just scratch matches going on, I'm not sure, uh, yeah, how much you can go by just training. Um, so, yeah, probably uh, Ratio or Robbie for Woodcock, in my opinion, if they're ready. If they're not, I don't see any changes coming against the Giants, I think. Uh, the team that we put against Collingwood was pretty good um, and good good to not have any further injuries come out of it. Um, like I said at the start of the episode, really happy for Travis Boak uh, winning the 300th game, um, sealing the deal because his 250th was quite terrible. Uh, we got smashed by Collingwood at Marvel. Um, I remember um watching the first quarter and I think in a fit of rage I went to the gym and didn't watch the rest of the game so um yeah very happy for him uh, much like I expressed in my sentiments from uh the first episode I, I put out the other night um and the boys uh, sung the song uh quite uh, boisterously afterwards and um yeah, the interview on Fox with Charlie afterwards just expressed the true love that some of those guys, well, probably most of them have for Trav, and, yeah, happy for him to win. Um, but now it's in the book. Doesn't have to worry about his 300th anymore. We He can move on and, and yeah, who knows, maybe uh, build again and, and um, keep that great consistent form going. Um, all in all, great game, very happy to get the four points. We're still in fourth. We're looking good to hold on to that just as long as we keep doing uh, what we need to um, for the rest of the season. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm aiming to put out a preview uh, for the game against the Giants later in this week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but in the meantime, have a great week. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Bye for now.